0: I I wondered, uh, as the the week was coming to its end, whether I would go ahead with the John 15 sermon or whether I would do something um, uh, more topical to current events. Very, very few occasions have I shifted gears and gone to a a topical current event. So we're going to press on with John 15, but... uh, With the Lord's help, with the Lord's help, I'm going to weave in uh, what I hope will be very appropriate comments that that do make uh, a more direct connection to our current situation and context today. So let me ask you please to pray for me and to pray for us all as we uh, prepare to hear God's word. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for your word of truth We thank you you, you, that you are the great and sovereign God who spoke the worlds into existence. And now we look to you, our Father, that you would speak your word again powerfully by your Holy Spirit. and Give us uh, ears to hear and minds to receive, hearts to believe, souls to respond in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We continue with the Last Supper discourse. We concluded chapter, uh, John chapter 14 last Sunday. Now we pick right up at 15, verse 1, in which Jesus, the Son of God, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. And well, it's important for us to remember the context. This is Jesus' discourse on the night of the Last Supper, and uh, if you think put it in that context, it is a context of great uncertainty for the disciples. It is uh, a context of uh, in which they they could begin to panic. It is a, a context in which they don't they don't really understand what's coming, what's going to happen next. All they know is that Jesus is telling them that he's going to be going away from them. They can sense that something is apparently terribly wrong and what does Jesus do? Well he gives them some very clear instructions. He, he, He lays out for them what they need to be doing in a time of uncertainty, in a time in which they can't See into the future in a time in which things are going to be very different for them after he goes away. He gives them promises and he gives them commands. And what I hope that you can see as we as you read through this and meditate, not only on John 15, but what we read last week in John 14, is that, that Jesus has these themes that run, uh, well, let me put it like this, they run like vines. You know, they're not real straight. It's not a real straight reading. They sort of curve around and wrap around themes like, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, if you love me, you will abide. If you keep my commandments, I will abide in you. You will abide in me. The, 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 the Holy Spirit, all of these themes of loving Christ, obeying Christ, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the focus on his words, doing what he commands, those things are just sort of wrapped around each other. And uh, be, be aware of that as we work through this passage. Now last Sunday we read from John 14 in which Jesus gave promises. He he was telling them things before they happened so that they would be prepared but he he gave them the promise of the coming Holy Spirit, the divine third person of the Trinity. As we said last Sunday the Holy Spirit comes to fill up the void which would be left by Jesus's Physical absence. And that promise of the Holy Spirit was initially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' ascension into heaven, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured upon the apostles and the other believers in Jerusalem. And that event, that historic event of the day of Pentecost, marked the beginning of the new covenant era, the public. Beginning of the new covenant era in which God the Father through his son Jesus Christ would send and does send the, the Holy Spirit to baptize and fill and empower all believers in Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world and we live in that new covenant era. And so Jesus' promise to the apostles applies to all believers today. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, another advocate, another strengthener to be with you forever. But with the promise of the Holy Spirit, the whole the whole point of that is so that Jesus um, so that his disciples would live the life of discipleship. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the point, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is is for empowering us to live as faithful disciples. And the point and the purpose of living as Jesus' disciples is that we bear much fruit for the glory of the Father. That's how chapter 14 now flows into chapter 15. At the end of 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. And uh, there's some debate about it, but if, if it were the case that, that at that point, Jesus and his disciples got up from the table, left the upper room, began to make their way through to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, what we have in chapter 15 uh, may have been spoken by Jesus while they were walking on their way. And while they were walking on their way, of course, they would have seen very common sight, vineyards, vines all along the way and that provides a spiritual uh, visual illustration for Jesus's words I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser now Jesus statement here John 15 1 I am the true vine is the seventh and the final of the I am statements Uh, In the Gospel of John, these, these I am declarations, I am the good shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to name just a few. There are seven of them. They're significant because they contain within themselves the very name of God himself, Yahweh, the great I am. I am who I am, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses out of the burning bush, the great covenant name of the God of Israel. And so these I am declarations by Jesus were clearly intended to be a revelation of and a self-affirmation of his divine nature. The seventh I am I am the true vine is significant also because the vine was a metaphor, a symbol of Old Covenant Israel. For example, in other words, throughout the Old Testament, various passages, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Psalm 80, Hosea, Old Testament Israel is referred to metaphorically, figuratively, as a vineyard or as a vine. Isaiah 5. In Isaiah 5, the prophet sings, My beloved Yahweh had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And that passage in Isaiah 5 continues And makes clear that the vineyard is Old Testament Israel and the owner is the Lord. And that the Lord was going to bring judgment upon Israel because instead of producing good fruit, it produced only wild grapes. That is, idolatry, injustice, evil, all manner of rebellion against the Lord. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said to Israel, I planted you a choice vine. I planted you as a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? And likewise, the prophet Hosea spoke of Old Testament Israel as a vine that yielded its fruit, the fruit of idolatry. Hosea chapter 10. You pick up that theme in Psalm 80 as well. So the point... In the Old Testament, Israel is symbolized as a vine, a vine which God himself planted to bear good fruit. But instead, it, 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 in every one of those scripture verses, instead, it proves to be a vine which yielded wild grapes, the fruit of idolatry, injustice, evil, evil. All manner of rebellion against the Lord. So you see, it's against this Old Testament background that Jesus says, I am the true vine. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel, which my Father has planted in this world. I am the true vine, which will bear good fruit for my Father's glory. So it's a declaration about Jesus himself in his relationship with his father, but you can see where this is going now, can't you? It's a statement about Jesus' disciples. Jesus is the true vine. The father is the vine dresser and his disciples are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches, verse 5. And it is on the branches where the fruit is is actually manifest. Now, this is worthy of our meditation, is it not? What are the big points of the metaphor? Well, the vine itself is the root and trunk of the plant. The vine is the source and the conduit of the life of the plant itself, which flows into the branches which grow out of the vine. But it is the very life of the vine, it is the very sap of the vine which flows into the branches and gives them life. So the branches themselves are so attached to the vine, so united to the vine, so much in the vine that they are the outgrowth of the vine with the life of the vine in them. You don't have to overthink this, really. It's a pretty simple metaphor, which Jesus uses to symbolize or to illustrate the relationship between himself and his disciples after his ascension into heaven and the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's the context. You've got to think of it that way. By the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus will dwell. He will abide. And that word is to remain, to reside, uh, to To dwell in, Jesus will dwell in them. And by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, they will dwell. They will abide in him. Their very life will be in him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' life will flow into them just as the sap of the vine flows into the branches. And, of course, this is the point. Remember the context. Jesus is getting it ready For getting his disciples ready for him to be absent from them. Well, that's that's where we are today, right? Jesus, in his resurrected and glorified body, is not with us here. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But he abides in us. We abide in him in that union formed by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Now this is a spiritual reality. We, we are talking about a supernatural spiritual reality. You know, if, 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 if this point just stops at the, the level of cognitive information, oh, that's interesting, it's worthless. If our meditation, our study of the scripture, our thinking about the scripture just stops, oh, that's, inter- that's an interesting symbol. Oh, that's interesting. I get it. I, you know, I get that abstract concept. Okay, right? If it stops there, it's worthless. I mean, Jesus is declaring a supernatural, spiritual reality. For his believers. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, resting upon him, trusting in him, the living son of God dwells in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's his promise, not mine. Listen to this quote from Calvin. John Calvin, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us as Christ as long as Christ remains outside of us and we're separated from him all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us and what is calvin saying Calvin is saying that if Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven are to us merely historical facts, merely historical events which we acknowledge, then what good is that? If Christ remains outside of us, separate from us, as merely an historical figure, the greatest of all historical figures, then what he did for us is no good. But you see, that's not how the Scripture speaks of a true believer's relationship with Jesus Christ. No, by the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life, the true believer is in Christ, connected to him. And Christ is in the believer. By the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is a real spiritual union between Christ and his redeemed people. And by the way, going along with the metaphor and Jesus' words, I am the true vine, I am the true Israel, then who are we? If we're true branches of the true vine, and he's the true Israel, then we are the true Israelites. You see what Jesus, by the establishment of the new covenant, by the shedding of his blood, by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile together, is the new Israel the new covenant Israel. We are God's people upon the earth. And we've been, we've been called into our life in Christ for the purpose of bearing good fruit to the glory of God. Oh, no, you can do that only through our union with Christ But in John 15, we see that the point of our union with Christ is not merely our salvation. It is the point in John 15 of our union with Christ is that we bear much fruit. It's not merely about our salvation, it's about our spiritual transformation, it's about our effective witness as Jesus' disciples. So the bearing of much fruit here is our personal spiritual transformation and our effective witnesses as his disciples. So let me just throw this in right here, right? None of us wants us, none of us wants to be a carrier of the contagion, right? That's why we're practicing social distancing. Right? Right? So, if Christ is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, let's spread the infection. Right? Let's be carriers. Let's bear good fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And think about that in the context. You know, John 14, what we read over and over, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Remember in the in kind of the confusion? And now Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing. And they're probably thinking, yeah, but Jesus, you're getting ready to be apart from us. You told us you're going away. Now what? Now what are we going to do? This is... He's he's teaching them. He's teaching them. I will ask the Father, and the Father will send another helper, another strengthener, another advocate. You know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you. And so, though Jesus is apart from us physically and visibly, he's not apart from us. If we abide in him and he abides in us by the power of the spirit, if you abide in me and my words, there's that connection, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Of course, that is not, you know, the genie in the bottle. And verses like this get ripped out of context and it didn't name it and claim it. That's not what it is. This is... Jesus is called to discipleship. This is Jesus preparing the apostles to go out into the world to bear witness to him and all that they need for that purpose to bear much fruit for the glory of the Father, the Father will provide. Now look, the same is true for us. The same is true for us. Everything we need as Covenant Presbyterian Church in order to be an effective witness in wash it all parish and beyond and to bear much fruit for the glory of his name, the Lord promises to provide as long as we abide in his word, as long as we keep his commandments, as long as we love one another. As long as we love him by showing, by by manifested in our obedience for one another. The Lord Jesus Christ promises that the Father will answer our prayers for all that we need in order that we may bear much fruit and do greater works than Jesus himself did. Not in terms of the spectacular isolated of miracles that Jesus did, but the effect of our witness. Think about it. And that, that, you know, and that, that's part of Jesus' promise. Greater works than these will you do. He said that to 11 men on the night before he was crucified by the Roman Empire. And here we are today. 2,000 years later on the other side of the earth and people all over the globe are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus keeps his word. We've got to believe it. That's why he says, Abide in me. And if my words abide in you, he provides us everything we need in order that we might bear much fruit. Now, we go back to Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Hosea 10, we see that the bad fruit, the wild grapes of the vine, were idolatry, disobedience, rebellion. So what, what would good fruit mean? Well, first of all, it would mean living in a good and healthy relationship with God. For his glory in happy fellowship with him, in obedience to his word, worshiping only him, seeking to please him in all that we do. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. That's bearing much fruit. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul's prayer for the Colossians, a prayer for us. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you, Covenant Presbyterian Church, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There it is. Bearing fruit manifested in Living consistently in accord with the will of God, which is revealed in the word of God, evidenced in good works in obedience to his word. Now, how do we do this? Only by the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, who flows into our lives through union with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the vine. The Holy Spirit is the life, the sap in the vine. We are the branches, the life of Jesus the vine flows into our lives, the branches through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and thereby produces the good fruit of what? Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. We might, for example, think of, maybe you have already thought of, the fruit of the Spirit. Make the connection. We love that. Memory verse, Galatians 5, 22. That's what Jesus is talking about here in John 15. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. That's good fruit. That's good fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And don't miss the point the fruit of the Holy Spirit is the replication, the the reproduction of the character, the personality of Jesus in our lives. What's the point and the purpose of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives? To conform us to the likeness of Jesus Christ to make us more and more like him. Let's make a connection now between abiding in Christ and his words abiding in us. Listen to, a f- and, and, the, and then the, the power of the Spirit in our lives. I want you to see this connection. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is the evidence of being filled with the Spirit? Read Ephesians 5.18 and following. What is the good fruit which grows on branches united to the vine and filled with the the sap of the vine? Joyful fellowship, hearts full of praise to the Lord, gratitude which always overflows out of our hearts. Humility in our relationships with one another, putting others first in submission and service to one another. That's what a spirit-filled, fruit-bearing congregation looks like. It is sweet. It is sweet. So Jesus calls us to abide, to dwell, to reside, to remain in him, in union with him as a branch is in union with the vine, dependent upon him as a branch is dependent upon the vine, filled with his life as the branch is filled with the life of the vine. How do we do this in practical terms? Jesus says, "If my words abide in you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love." Jesus is simply saying that the way in which we abide in Him, the way in which He abides in us, is by means of the Word. It's His Word through the and the power of the Holy Spirit working together with the Word. That's it. This is not a big mystery. It's his word and spirit together in our lives. That is what it means to abide in Christ. Because you can't separate Christ from the Holy Spirit. Some people do that. You you cannot do it. You you cannot do it. You, You cannot separate Christ from the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate Christ from his word. Some people try to do that. And big, big errors happen. You can't separate Christ from the Holy Spirit. You can't separate Christ from his word. And you can't separate the word from the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit from the word. It's all a unity. And we are engrafted into that unity. But it's right here at this point that we hear the warnings. Just as there were warnings in chapter 14, there are warnings in chapter 15. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, you see, Jesus is speaking warnings to those who are hypocritically, only externally, only apparently attached to him. These are those who have only an outward profession of faith, but no true inward possession of saving faith, filled with love for Jesus. We touched on this last Sunday from John 14. It's time for that private, personal heart check. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, to enable you to do a heart check. Now, you see, these warnings are not unusual from the lips of Jesus, He spoke very similar warnings. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. A branch doesn't bear fruit. It's going to be cut off and thrown off. You see, these warnings by Jesus, by the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God to to Old Covenant Israel as well. We read about them in the letter to the Hebrews. You men who have been studying Hebrews, Tuesday morning group, you've heard these warnings. They are given to those who are named as members of the visible church, those who have been baptized, confirmed, who receive the Lord's Supper. It's a somber warning. There are visible branches of the visible vine who do not have the life-giving sap of the Spirit of Jesus Christ flowing through them. They do not really abide in Christ because they do not abide in his word. There's no real desire to keep his commandments. No real desire to live in the fellowship of love in his church as a member of the body, as a branch attached to the vine to which other branches are attached. Or to bear real real fruit in accordance with his word by the power of his spirit. It's a warning which Jesus himself spoke so that we might be sure to examine ourselves and to turn to him in true repentance and faith. Don't live with Christ apart from you or outside of you. Come to him. Come to him in faith. Humble yourself before him. Honor him for who he is, the son of God and your only savior and sovereign Lord. The apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the Colossians. Be filled with the spirit. That's Colossians. We, uh, well, Ephesians we read. By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's Ephesians. Through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When Christ dwells in our hearts, through his word, by his spirit, we are empowered to bear much fruit to the glory of God the Father. And that's who we seek to be. For we know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Your pastors know that. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. In our session meetings and our officers' meetings with the deacons, we often pray this. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. Your elders know it. Your deacons know it. I think we all, for the most part, know this. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we are nothing except branches fit for the fire. But what a wonderful Savior and Lord we have who has loved us with an everlasting love Who's promised to be with us always, and therefore who dwells within us now by the power of his Spirit. His very life flows through us. And he is preparing our eternal dwelling place with him so that we all might be together with him forever. So let's heed Jesus' call to infect the world with the good news of his saving grace. And to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit will indeed work so in our hearts that we might be more and more assured of our union with Christ and therefore be strengthened to serve you. Grant, we pray, by your spirit, by your word, by your grace, we might truly bear much fruit for your glory. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count quality of God a thing to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every man should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.